0: Hi, I'm Kara Kilmer. I play Sylvia Bread on Chicago Fire, and you are listening to Mina Semolis. You're standing to your family. And to me, there's nothing more important. Not gonna be all sunshine and roses, but I can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 108 of Meet Us at Molly's. As always, I'm one of your hosts. My name's Gina, I'm joined by Bryna.
0: Hello everybody.
1: We did something a little bit different this week. Uh, Basically, we... We love the TV industry, as you guys know, and we love the behind-the-scenes process. And we are bringing you a special interview this week with Jason Cruthers. Jason Cruthers was a cinematographer and director of photography on Chicago Fire from seasons four through six. Um, he worked in second unit on cinematography in seasons two and three, and then became the director of photography in four through six. And we just wanted to have him on. We had questions about what he does. And we wanted to talk about, you know, what goes into setting up a scene. And just kind of wanted to show that there is so much more that goes into an episode or a scene of Chicago Fire beyond just what we see in front of the camera. And so without further ado, here is our chat. You're in Puerto yeah. Rico now, correct?
2: Uh, yeah, I've been in Puerto Rico for two, two weeks now. <laughs> Great. Um I'm down here prepping a um a heist film with Mel Gibson.
1: Oh wow. That's
2: cool. Yeah. That's really so uh so yeah, I got down here two weeks ago and I'll be here for another two, two and a half months, give or take.
1: Wow, okay. So they haven't started filming it or anything. You guys get down there a lot earlier to prep?
2: Yeah, yeah. So we're still um we're still here in uh in pre production. So we've got Yeah, so we've got like another, I think we've got another three three or four weeks of pre production, uh, which is just, you know, finding all the locations and then figuring out uh, how we're actually going to do everything. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's a lot of people standing around in buildings pointing at things and saying, well, maybe we'll do this, maybe we'll do that. Uh, And then we all go back to the office and we sit around going, maybe we can do this, maybe we can do that. There's a lot of people sitting around scratching their heads and you kind of unpack the whole puzzle one piece at a time. So.
1: Now, from what I understand, a cinematographer is in charge of basically the cameras and the lighting. Is that correct?
2: Uh, Yeah, that's the uh, the the easiest way when this question comes up for me to explain uh, is is what you see what you see on a TV show or film is is like the way it looks is ultimately my responsibility. Um, So the lighting, the compositions, the camera movement, um, the way uh, the photography of, of a film or a TV show is my job um, now. That's You know with that comes, you know, obviously there's a, that's in conjunction with an, It's with the collaboration with a lot of other people with you know camera assistants and grips and electricians and I'm working with the art department and wardrobe and hair and makeup and There's there's a ton of people that all uh, Contribute to what every shot looks like mm-hmm. um, so it, really my job is to take everybody else's contributions make sure that they are reflected accurately or that anything that doesn't quite fit the mood of what we're doing is adjusted. Um, and then it's my job to say, yeah, we can go ahead and shoot this now. Um, and obviously I'm working with the director. So, you know, the director's obviously got, uh, what, what she or he wants to do in terms of the different shots and how they're going to cut together and camera move it. And then it becomes a collaboration of, you know, what if we change this? What if we add this, what if we drop that, but do this instead? So it's, I ultimately, it's my responsibility, but it's I, I definitely, it's in collaboration with uh, a ton of other people.
1: Interesting. So when you're location scouting, you may be looking for one thing in a location, but the person next to you who might be a grip or an electrician, they're gonna be looking for something completely different.
2: Uh, absolutely. So a, a good example of this <clears throat> is um, uh, uh, one of the locations, because actually this morning, um, I was out on a location cut this morning, um, and a really good example is uh, we were standing there talking about a, a sequence that we have to do with people hanging off the side of a building, um, and it was interesting. I was looking at it from a place of how, where are we going to put a crane to get the camera, you know, forty feet in the air to shoot this, um, and also try to figure out, you know, where is the sun in relation to the building, um, and where is it going to be at the time of day when we're shooting. Meanwhile, uh, our location manager he was walking around trying to figure out where are we gonna park trucks? Um, which is important, but not the first thing I look at, whereas that's one of the first things he looks at. Mm-hmm. Uh, versus you know, our, our stunt coordinator, what they're looking at is, oh, where, where, can I put my, where can I put all my equipment to rig things safely? So I think everybody shows up and you start looking at things individually for your own departments, um, and then the collaboration starts coming, going like, well, this is what I need to do. What is it that you need to do? okay, so what can we do to accommodate both those things together? And then bit by bit you start figuring out things both creatively but also practically and logistically as well.
1: Wow. So do, do locations ever end up falling through because not everyone can agree?
2: It's Locations fall through all the time. Um, it's usually not because people won't agree. Um, sometimes locations will fall apart. Uh, simply because they simply because they don't work for certain people uh, uh, for certain departments. So, for example, um, like this movie is a good example. This movie takes place almost entirely during a hurricane. So, actually, one of the biggest things we're talking about is how do we uh, what do we have to do to artificially create a hurricane for seventy percent of the movie, but also um, how do we also sell that illusion? You know, in Puerto Rico, where uh, actually, since I got down here, it's been blue skies and perfectly sunny, beautiful weather every single day. So a lot of discussions comes from practically how do we do this, both you know, with the, the resources we have and the time we have. So there's actually some locations that um, – like a good example is there's one location that the director absolutely loved. He was like, I love this location. I love everything about it. Um, but when we started talking about it, it became obvious that for all the things we loved about it, creating the illusion of a hurricane was going to be exponentially harder in that location. Um, so although we all agreed that this is a beautiful location, we also agreed we wouldn't be able to actually, we wouldn't be able to create the, the illusion of a hurricane, uh, uh, accurately for the whole movie with the resource of the time we had. So usually locations will get shot down if it presents a, a problem or an issue that just can't be worked out either with time or money for a main department. Um, And it happened all the time, like in Chicago Fire. There'd be locations, we'd be like, oh, aesthetically this looks great, but, you know, uh, the effects department needs to be able to, you know, blow up the top floor. Well, that's not going to work. So although we love this location, it won't work for them, so let's go find another location that works for everybody. So it usually just comes down to uh, practical matters as opposed to people disagreeing and saying, you know, oh, well, I don't like it, so we're not going to shoot there.
1: I imagine the stakes on Chicago Fire were so much higher because you've got all of those landmarks down there. So when you go location yeah. scouting and you're wanting to do a call it, uh, what was the one where they were dangling over the side? Soldier Field? I think, isn't that a clip that you did?
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, when they were um, uh, they were dangling, yeah, they were in Soldier Field dangling over to save the guy there, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I think, is that more of an issue of making the location work or is it just kind of, you've got to hope <clears throat> and pray that everything's right?
2: Um, in no, and something like using that as an example, um, and you'll have to forgive me cause it's, it's, we did a lot of episodes so the after five years, they start to blend together a little bit. Um, we have that problem I,
1: too. It's
2: okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. one. <laughs> um, I always feel bad when people ask me things. I was like, I honestly don't remember. Um, I think if I recall correctly, um, I don't. Uh, I believe it was the the director's uh, idea about, hey, it would be great to shoot in Soldier Field, and then we inquired and they were open to it, um, and we went and scouted it and said, okay, great, this location's awesome. What is it going to take? What would it take to make this work? Like, what would it take uh, just for the stunts and safety to make this work? What would it take? What do we need to shoot here? Um, and that was actually, uh, uh, that sequence uh, in particular, because of all the technical requirements and the logistics of shooting there, um, that was actually one of the few locations that we actually scouted multiple times just to figure out all the logistics. Because um, you know, on the show, we use cranes a lot, um, but we we physically couldn't get a crane over there, so we actually ended up you know, using a drone to do a lot of those shots. Um, so there was a lot of discussion about what kind of drone, and with the wind right there near the water, and also Soldier Field uh, is basically just a giant metal box. So it also creates a lot of interference. So we also discovered that one drone, certain drones wouldn't work there because there's interference with the signals. So they actually wouldn't fly there. So there was a lot of discussion about what kind of drone and where could the drone be, where could it not be, and what we'd have to rig things, what we have to digitally paint out. Um, that that sequence in particular was a lot of work. I think. I think we probably went back to that location three or four times just to work out for all the different departments and all the logistics and all the permits uh, to figure out what we wanted to do creatively, but also how do we do it practically?
1: Wow, there's so yeah. much that goes into it that you just never think about.
2: Yeah, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, in any production, there's a lot, but especially you know when you the, the bigger the show and the bigger the the things you're doing. Um, the more people, and the more there's the discussions that go into everything. Um, sometimes for the you know the seemingly the the simplest things.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So normally, do you only go to a location once and then figure everything out, and then and don't go back again until you're actually shooting?
2: Um, it depends on the it depends on on the production. Um, so to put in perspective, like the movie I'm on now, uh, our main location. Um, I've only been here for two weeks, but we've already been to that location four times. Okay. Um, once just to scout it the first time to see if, it were, if it, we all liked it. Then we came back a second time to go, okay, we th- we're pretty sure we like it. Now let's go back and start talking about things in more detail.
0: Right. And then
2: a third time we went back to start talking with other department heads about, oh, for the stunt where you know the guy jumps here and he falls 40 feet, can you rig things that way? Will it work? How do we have to modify it? Um, and then we went back again to continue having more specific conversations going like, oh, you know what? We haven't really talked about this yet, so let's go back and talk about it. I'll probably go to that location before we start shooting another half dozen times with either myself or various members of of the production to talk about different aspects. Um, on something like Chicago Fire, because so a lot of TV shows will rotate cinematographers, meaning... You know one cinematographer will shoot the odd episodes while the other one shoots the even episodes. And the idea is that with rotating DPs, uh, while you know one DP is shooting the first episode, the other DP is doing all the pre-production for the second episode. Oh. Uh, Chicago Fire and actually all of the the, the Chicago shows, uh, none of them had rotating cinematographers. So in my case, I uh, when I was on the show, I shot every episode. Uh, the, one of the downsides of that is, um, I didn't really get much of an opportunity to do any pre-production. So usually I got to see a location once, um, for depending on the location, 20 minutes, maybe an hour if it's a big sequence. Um, and I was really reliant on the assistant directors and some of my rigging crew, uh, to give me notes and give me feedback and basically like, Hey, here's a real crash course on, what everybody else has been talking about for the last week and a half while they've been preparing. Uh, this is a quick crash course on what everybody's been talking about, the issues, the solutions, and then I will show up and go, okay, great, I'm gonna make a few suggestions, I'll point out a few things that maybe got missed, um, and then we start shooting at that location three or four days later. So Chicago Fire was kind of a very different animal because it was, uh, I, was I would basically take a day off from the episode shooting uh, somebody would fill in for me for one day while I went to go look at locations. Um, I'd come back, and then 48 hours later, we're shooting the next episode.
1: Wow. So do you find there's a quicker turnaround time in TV versus film?
2: Exponentially, yeah. Uh, with with a film, I mean, the, um, you know, this film, I think, has a, a five, five and a half weeks of prep. Um, yeah, and then we'll have like a, a four, four and a half week shoot. Um, so in, in that four, four and a half weeks, we're going to make essentially at the end of it, it's going to be about, you know, a 90, 95 minute movie. Uh, whereas on TV, you know, every episode is done in eight days. Mm -hmm. Um, we're making an entire episode in, in eight days. So everything, and the difference also is, you know, if an episode, you know, we start an episode on a Monday, so that episode's done being shot the following Wednesday, the very next day on Thursday we're starting another episode with a new director and a new script and a whole new thing. Um, and it's just to a certain extent it sort of becomes a, a little bit of a factory where you're just one after the other, you're just churning the episodes out. Um, I don't mean it to sound like it's a factory. You're just like, you know, pump them out. But like there's, there's definitely machine built because obviously you have a, a delivery schedule of, you know, this, this episode was going to air, you know, we know this episode's going to air two weeks from now and it's got to air every single week at the same time, same day. Uh, whereas with the movie, we shoot it and go, great. Well, the movie's done. It'll get released, you know, six months, 12 months, a year and a half from now. So TV is definitely a, a very different pace than movies.
1: Oh, wow. So if we look at, you know, what you do from, from a high level, what goes into the process of lighting a scene? And then we'll get into specifically like, episode-specific questions.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, usually it starts with uh, depending on... You know, if we're talking about like Chicago fire for example um, it depends if we're on if we're on our stage um, a lot of the lightings already kind of built uh, the majority of the lightings already built on built into the set whether it's practical lighting is built under the set or a lot of our, our lights that are rigged outside the set and are already kind of preset um, so those tend to be a lot easier because you show up the director you know the director talks about what she or he wants to do with the blocking um, I'll make some suggestions of like, oh, instead of instead of them standing there, could they stand over here instead? Because that way, you know, this shot could actually do. We could do two shots for one, have to do one one fewer setup. We'll make our adjustments to the blocking, um, and then with my crew, I start lighting the scene. Um, we're doing something like you know, like Bowden's office or or like the common room, like things like that are a bit easier because uh, they're sets that we spent a lot of time in. We know it works. we know it doesn't work and a lot of the lighting's already kind of built in, so we can do things pretty quickly and easily. Uh, We go in location, it's a little bit different. Um, Part of the the location scouts is me working with uh, a rigging crew, which is basically grips and electricians that are working ahead of us to get things ready for us. Um, So part of location scouts is working with them to say, hey, you know, uh, I think, think the director might do this, so let's make sure we have a light outside this window, a light out here, let's add some lights here, I'll work with the art department about adding, you know, let's we put a desk lamp over there? So we try to roughen as many things as possible so that on the day when the director says, well, this is the type of shots I want to do and this is the blocking, uh, then we just start kind of doing it one thing at a time, like, all right, that all works. So we'll bring a light to that window and add a light here and turn that off there, um, and you just. In my case I, I try to make it a I think what works efficiently, at least in my opinion, is um, try to light the whole environment and then let the actors inhabit it and let them run around. So especially in like Chicago Fire, which is a lot of handheld, um, a lot of zooms, we tried we'd give the actors marks and say, Listen, this should be great. This is where you want to try to land, you know, stand when you get to give these lines. But as long as you're in the ballpark it's fine because we've lit the space as opposed to lighting an individual shot. But that's the basic breakdown of it. Is we we kind of respond to what the blocking is with the director and the actors, and then go about lighting it based on what they want to do.
0: Yeah, and so you were telling us when we were figuring all this out that you know that since we just discussed the first ever crossover in our last episode, yeah, said that was the whole garage bomb sequence. Like that was one of your two hardest episodes during your time on the show. I'm curious, like, what made that so difficult.
2: Um, so that episode in particular, um, I, I was, it's funny when I saw, uh, that photo posted, I was like, oh yeah, that, that episode was a bit of a monster. Um, I think that was one of, uh, one of the two hardest episodes just because of the sheer, uh, size and scope of it. Um, you know, starting the episode off with, you know, a, a, a three story building blowing up and we had, uh, uh, I don't know, had a hundred, hundred and fifty extras, like lying on the ground, you know, bleeding and screaming, and just you know, as the as the episode progresses, you're like, oh, now we're introducing the police department and all these other cast members. And there's a lot of vehicles, a lot of people. Um, so there were a lot of elements, a lot of people. Plus, uh, season two was also when they had, uh, what was it the they had a clever name for uh, how cold it was? Uh, a polar vortex. That's what it was. Um, it was one of the coldest. Uh, Winters in like Chicago's recorded history. So while we're doing that episode, it's also just miserably cold um, And if you remember like all the extras the whole idea is there's supposed to be a marathon race So everybody of course is dressed, you know in like running like jogging gear and they're supposed to be lying on the ground You know having been you know bleeding and losing limbs so a lot of time we do is we set up the shot get everything ready and literally have the whole crew in standby, and they'd have, you know, 100 people sitting on buses trying to stay warm. they call for them. They'd all run out and take their positions. And as soon as everybody was in position, we'd do a shot and we'd cut, and they'd all get up and they'd run back on a hop on the bus to stay warm. So it was just a hard episode because everything about the episode just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And there were just a lot of people. Um, I, if I remember correctly, you know, most episodes are done in eight days. I think that episode took. Fourteen, maybe fifteen days uh, to kind of piece together. Because um, the other thing to keep in mind is also, you know, when we're the crossovers are, are great for the stories. That um, also becomes a lot more difficult because, you know, all the cast members from Chicago PD they're on their own show. Like they have their all their own show to do. So we're also piece building the schedule together, saying, all right, well, we can have, you know, we can have Voight for like three hours on this day. And we can have this person for like four hours on that day, and Oh, wait, they need some of our cast members. So some of our cast members are going away. So uh, an episode like that, just whenever we do the crossovers, everything just tends to get bigger, even uh, even by the scale that we did that show on.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so you said that you did the whole garage with the bomb disarming sequence and said that that was particularly difficult. So what, was, what particularly was difficult about that? Because to me, that seems like it would be an easier one because, you know, there's no moving parts. They're just kind of stationary in a car. What about that was so difficult?
2: Um, I wouldn't say that it was necessarily difficult. Um, uh, I mean, the episode was difficult, but there were, you know, something like that. That that was actually a bit of, one, uh, I'd say, one of the easier things to shoot. Um, um, I think one of the things I found funny about it was a comment you guys made, too, is is uh, you know, Mills has one training course in squad, and he's like, okay, screw it. I can go ahead and disarm this car bomb now. Um, <laughs> So no, it wasn't. That was a little bit. Uh, that wasn't super difficult. Um, what was interesting about that was um, all of that stuff in the parking garage uh, was a parking garage right next to where they're shooting everything else. Um, one of the slightly tricky parts is we had an entire unit over there shooting all that stuff in the parking garage while a hundred yards away, uh, the main unit was shooting other stuff. Um, so we had things where sometimes we're like, well, we can't point a camera that direction because if we point a camera, we'll see the other, we'll see the other unit, you know, we'll see 300 other people over there all working on other parts of the episode. Um, and again, that was just one, one of many crazy aspects of that episode to make it all work, make it all happen.
0: Wow. wow. Is that something that normally happens where you have A Smaller unit shooting at one part of the location and then having the main unit shoot something a completely different scene somewhere else Or is that just kind of that episode (laughs) required it?
2: No, that was mostly something from that episode usually um, So, you know, I shot uh, I was the main DP for seasons four through six Uh, Seasons two and three uh, I started as the second unit DP and I was also shooting some episodes in there but the way second unit on that show usually worked um, typically be things where a good example would be um, uh, what happened a lot was uh, main unit might be like on our burn stage shooting, you know, the interior, you know, people running in, running down burning hallways and kicking open doors. So main unit would be on our burn stage while another unit was uh, sometimes like starting the next episode, you know, like on the fire, you know, the firehouse set or off on location. So, It's very, it was very rare to ever have both units working on the same set or close proximity just because it's not very efficient. Uh, But in that particular case, like the parking garage, it was far enough away and isolated enough that, and also kind of at a necessity, it was like, well, we have to do that. It kind of works if we're far enough away from each other. Uh, But no, typically when there's there's more than one unit working, uh, we try to stay as far away from each other as possible.
1: Is that how you cover the most ground on a movie? Because when you say you said that you were at a location this morning, but I mean, is that just one scene of the movie? How does your team cover all of the bases?
2: Um, so sometimes when you do uh, multiple units, um, usually the reason you're doing a multiple uh, you're doing a second unit um, is because there's really no other option. So like in the case of like use Chicago Fire, for example. Um, if there's an episode where, where they schedule it out, to say, okay, we shoot eight days per episode, but there's just no way to get the work done in eight days. So we have to add a ninth day. Well, you can't push the next episode back by a day because if you do that, it actually will start to throw off the schedule for the entire season. So instead, it's like, all right, well, we normally, our days for the sake of argument. the We would be done by Wednesday, but we need an extra day to start shooting Thursday. Well, that next episode you know, there's a director that's been flown in, they have to start working, you have to shoot, you have to start shooting the next, next episode on Thursday. So the only solution at that point is to have two units and go, okay, well, one unit's finishing this episode, but the other unit's starting the next episode, because we, we just can't afford to push it back by a day. Um, so that's, usually you only have uh, additional units, when there's, when there's a workload that doesn't allow the main unit to physically be able to go do it. Um, in the case of this movie, um, I don't think we're going to have a second unit, um, partially because the the director prefers to do everything himself. He doesn't want to have a second unit. Um, and also, I don't necessarily think a second unit would help us. Um, there's nothing that I think uh, a second unit can do that we can't do schedule-wise. Um, there has been a discussion. There are some shots uh there's some like aerial shots the director wants to do you know like cameras flying over the city that kind of stuff we might we might make that like its own little specialized unit which is you know going to be like three or four people Um, only because those types of shots don't involve the cast um, and because they can be done with such a small group it doesn't make sense to have the main unit all these people showing up to do what you know three or four people can go do or one or two people can go do so something like that that I wouldn't necessarily call it a second unit, but that's, that would be a case where somebody's off shooting stuff without us uh, just because it makes sense to have them do it because it's, you know, them flying cameras over the city and getting pretty shots of the city.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. So you said that the crossover was one of two of the hardest that you've done. What was the second hardest?
2: Um, the second hardest, and I would also argue, it might actually be the hardest episode we did, Was uh, it was another crossover. It was the one that introduced Chicago Justice.
1: Um,
2: the warehouse fire um that was uh i would say probably the hardest episode we did uh partially just because everything about that warehouse fire was an enormous amount of work you know on on chicago fire i mean every episode uh, you know one of the jokes was was every episode just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger Uh, um and even that episode, even by our standards of, of being used to doing big things and doing kind of crazy things, even that one by our standards, kind of a bit of a head scratcher uh, because of the, the size and scope of what we were doing. And then mixing on top of that, going, all right, well, we have a show. Our, our story starts on fire, uh, includes Chicago Med, continues on with Chicago PD. And we're also introducing a brand new show to this kind of whole world. Um, so it was our normal production coupled with a a giant, you know, a very, a giant incident that had a lot of moving parts and being part of a, a four show crossover. Um, yeah, it was, uh, that episode I think was probably, I would argue probably the hardest episode we did just because of the, the scope and size of things we were doing. Um, but uh was also one of the most satisfying ones, one of the most fun ones, um, largely I think because the, the director of that episode was uh, Joe Chappelle, um, who uh, did a lot of Chicago Fire, and I, I would say is uh, by far one of my favorite directors, especially one of my favorite directors on the show. Um, he's just really great about knowing what needs to be done, how it needs to be done, and makes the work uh, as, as fun and as easy as it possibly can. Very cool. I-
1: Go ahead, Brenna.
0: No, I was just going to say. So, this got me thinking with TV, when there's different directors coming in and out, you know, for different episodes, you know, like episode one has this director, episode two is a different one, three is a different one from that, four, and so on. How does that affect your job versus like a movie where it's just you and the director working through pre production, through the movie, through post production, like through all of that stuff? Like, but with Fire, you know, there's different directors coming in and out. How does that affect your job?
2: Um, it's it's part of what makes my it's part of actually one of the things I love most about about working on TV in general because um, that's pretty common for all TV it's not just Chicago right. Fire all TV is pretty much there's a few shows that there's a few shows that you know have like one director who does the whole show or one director will do blocks of shows right uh, it's one of the things that I, I I really enjoyed about my time on Fire was uh, every week and a half I got to work with a new director so every you know is coming in. Uh, they all have their own ideas and they all have their own approaches to things. Um, and the the thing I like about a feature is, uh, like the one I'm doing right now, this is our my third feature with this director. So we've been friends for a while. We have a good shorthand. We know each other. So it makes the work a lot easier uh, because we know each other and we have a shorthand. With On fire, we had directors that often would return. So when they came back, it was like, oh, you know, so-and-so is coming back. So I know what she or he likes or they don't like how they like to work. So I can, I get to shift gears and, and, uh, certain aspects, certain parts of my job. Uh, I have to focus on more and other aspects to kind of take a backseat. Um, whereas if a director comes in, I've never worked with before. Part of the fun is figuring out how they see things, how they like to work. Um, and then trying to accommodate whatever that is. Um, it's, Probably the thing that made the show—it's the thing that made the show. Uh, uh, and I'm going to. This is going to sound potentially bad, but when you do one show uh, like that, you know, 22, 23 episodes, you know, you're shooting every season between 100, 180 to 190 days per season. Um, I think if you had uh, only you know, two or three directors, it would start to be a little monotonous because you'd start to do kind of the same thing over and over again. So. Having different directors coming in uh, was really fun because it helped break up the monotony of things and going, great, we're in Molly's again because we're in Molly's every damn episode. (laughs) But, oh, this director has a different way that they want to approach it. Um, Now, it's still within the the language of the show. It's still within the style and the way we do things. But the way they perceive it or the way they want to block it or shoot it um, was always what made it interesting. It's like, oh, we're back at Molly's again, but this director has a different take on it. Oh, that's new, that's exciting. So we, it's a challenge to go, oh, we're, we're, not, we're not just showing up and kind of rinsing and repeating. We're like, oh, we're gonna do something a little bit different this time. Um, so I think having all those different directors, uh, I'd like to believe made me a better cinematographer, but also made the work uh, more enjoyable because I got to kind of relearn how to do my job to a certain extent every episode.
1: Interesting. And so what is it like to work with fire? I mean, does that make your job more difficult or easier? Cause I mean, I imagine that's almost a light source in and of itself.
2: Uh, it actually usually is the light source. Um, fire. So working with fire, uh, is actually, it's a lot of fun. Um, but it's, it's a little bit like a roller coaster, uh, in the sense that like with a roller coaster, you know, you stand in line for an hour and a half to two hours. Um, so you have like 60 seconds of thrill and then you get back in line for two hours to wait to get on the ride again. Um, that's very much what like shooting on our burn stage and fire was like. You'd, you'd talk through everything and you'd spend an hour, hour and a half, maybe two hours setting things up. You'd shoot for 30 to 60 seconds, which would be really exciting. And then you'd be standing around for another hour, hour and a half, setting up the next shot. Um, it's obviously, you know with things like that, safety is the most paramount thing. Um, so a lot of most of the work on, on for scenes like that had to do with uh, what do we want to do creatively? And great, that's what the director wants. That's what we want to do with the camera and the lighting. Here's all the things we have to do to make it safe, um, and that took precedence over everything else. Um, and, you know, in working with that much fire, you know, you've got you've got a set on fire. You've got uh, our actual cast members running through fire. You've got camera operators running through fire. Oh, excuse me. Pardon me. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's a lot of elements at play, um, and you know, I'm I'm I think it's a testament to a, a really great group of people that nobody ever got hurt. We never had anything go wrong, um, and that's because everybody took safety very seriously. So shooting and fire, um, I always feel bad because people are like, "Oh, must be very exciting." I'm like, I mean, it's exciting for like 30 or 60 seconds at a time. But most of the day is like it's really long and kind of slow and tedious because you're like, all right, we're going to do this shot of them running down the hallway. Okay, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee because it's going to take an hour and a half to, you know, set up all the fuel, all the fire levels, make sure they're set properly, make sure they work, make sure everything's taken care of for safety. You know, where does, uh, you know, working with the grip department like, hey, all that heat's going to rise the ceiling. Well you have to open up parts of the ceiling. So after everybody's done their thing, then they come in and say, well, what will the camera see or not see? Well, raise this part of the ceiling so you can let heat vent out. Um, And then there's multiple people that kind of come in and check it, you know, effects goes through everything to make sure that all their fuel is safe. Uh, uh, My cue would walk through things to make sure there were no safety issues on his side. Stunts would come through and make sure there were no safety issues on their end. Uh, We'd have actual firefighters walk through and point out safety concerns they had. Um, And of course, you know, then my crew, you know, my crew and the actors would come through with questions. So everything gets discussed uh, over and over and over again, as well as should be, so that every single thing's been addressed. There are no questions. Everybody understands what's going to happen very specifically. So although it looks very chaotic, um, in actuality, when you're shooting scenes like that, um, there's actually no surprises because everything's been discussed um over and over and over again so it looks you know part of the, the magic is make it look chaotic and crazy when in reality you're like this is all very specific and happening uh very much like clockwork mm-hmm. um lighting was always easy for me because you know fire the fire does 90 percent of the lighting um so a lot of times you know in our case a lot of times all we would do for lighting was setting going like all right? Well, I want more light here, so let's make the fire bigger, and I want less light here, so make this fire smaller. Uh, sometimes we use a little handheld light to get uh, be able to see people's faces a bit more, um, especially because you know thick smoke would be so thick. Um, but actually, surprisingly, we're on the burn stage. We actually do. It's probably it, in some ways the least amount of lighting I ever did on the show because the fire, like nothing looks as good as real fire. So if you've got something that looks good embrace it rather than fight it.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, right. And so you did a series of Instagram posts a couple months back about your time on fire. And obviously, that's what piqued our interest. And we were like, Oh, we have questions. Let's have him on. <laughs> um, but one of those pictures was one of Eamon Walker, where basically, you said that over time, you kind of got to know the contours of everybody's face and what light worked best under what situation. So does that almost makes cinematography on a movie a little bit more difficult because you don't have that time to really get to know your cast members and who looks good in what situation?
2: Um, I wouldn't say difficult. I think it's just different. Um, I've always liked it this way. Like a, a movie, one thing I really enjoy about, about working in television is television is to a certain extent, it's a little bit like theater where, um, you know, for, for an actor in theater, uh, uh, you know, you go out, you do a performance and maybe it's not the best performance, um, which, you know, that's unfortunate, but you get to do it again tomorrow. Um, so you get to learn from what you just did and apply it to what you do the next day. So for me, TV is very much the same way where I could come in and go, great, I'm going to try something. Um, all right. It wasn't a failure, but it didn't work the way I wanted to, or there's, I think there's a better way to do it. But because of, because I'm, I know I'm going to doing the same thing tomorrow with the same actors I can learn from what worked or didn't work and try to improve it and make it better so you know for example like using Eamon as an example um, you know shooting in in like office um, that was great because once we kind of figured out what worked and didn't work for how to light that space and you know what makes uh, what's most uh, flattering for Eamon and also what doesn't quite work for Eamon, once we kind of had all that figured out, then every episode, my crew and I could kind of play with it and go, okay, you know what, Let's we haven't done this before, so let's try adding something new. And We could look at it and go, oh, that's that's great. Let's try doing more of that. Or you could look and go, eh, that didn't – it sounded good on paper, but it didn't quite work. Well, why didn't it work? Okay, well, maybe – okay, well, you know, we're back in Bowden's office shooting another scene two days from now, so – Two days from now, let's try incorporating that thing. So, um, I think that the post you're referring to. Um, when the nice thing about Chicago Fire is because you know I'm shooting thousands of close-ups of these people over the course of years. Um, yeah, you get you learn very you learn very quickly what works and what doesn't work because you've you've done so many close-ups. Um, so, to a certain extent, it makes the job a little bit easier because when it comes to light. I kind of know instinctively what's going to work or what's not going to work. Um, and also helps me when I'm blocking with the directors to say like, Hey, can we adjust this blocking? Because I know that, you know, the, the angle, the light on that side of their face is not going to be the best way to shoot them. So I can just say, can we adjust the blocking? Because I just know that it's going to be easier for me to make them look good this way. Um, with a movie, it's, uh, it's not necessarily that it's harder, it's just more work, where I'm like, great, I've never met you, this is our first time working together, so I just spend a little more time studying their faces on lighting close-ups, whereas in Chicago Fire, there, there definitely came a point where I was like, alright, I know that I'm going to put this light over here at this angle, I know exactly what you're going to look like, because I've seen your face, You know, I've been staring at your face for, for five years now.
0: Mm-hmm. Very cool. So, going back, though, to how you first got started in this business, how did you, like, first get started? And, like, did you always know you wanted to be in the film industry and specifically a cinematographer?
2: Um, so, that's a really good question. Um, I'm still not sure what I'm doing in this business. Um, <laughs> no, I, uh, I got started... Um, I got started actually, I thought I wanted to be a director only cause I didn't really know what a cinematographer was. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I found is a pretty common thing. Like a lot of people go to school. They're like, Oh, I want to go make movies. I don't really know what all the jobs are. Um, so I was fortunate. I went to a, a little film school in, in Scottsdale, Arizona, a little community college program. I was very fortunate to have a, a teacher named Dr. Penelope Price, who at the end of my first semester, uh, politely encouraged me to look at cinematography which years later i learned was her saying i don't think you have any talent as a director but your movies look pretty good so maybe you want to go do that um and so i signed up for a cinematography course i was 18 um and it was one of those things just on the first class just everything kind of clicked and made sense i picked up a light meter and i was like oh this just makes sense to me this feels right um and that's I was 18 and that's pretty much all I've done since I was eighteen. Um very much kind of one track mind. So I, I'm very, very fortunate to have discovered something that I, I really love. Um and then I'm just really stubborn and you know I don't know how to do anything else. So I just kinda of barreled forward doing that. Um and I'm I just turned forty, so I guess I've technically been doing this twenty-two years now. Um yeah and i that's i just started there and then you know went to undergrad at columbia and i eventually went to the american film institute and got my master's degree and uh i've spent a number of years before chicago fire doing a a lot of a lot of low budget movies um and then found my way into chicago fire and did a few years on that and i've been doing other things great great
1: and how did you get involved with
2: chicago fire um so chicago fire uh, the, the pilot in the first three seasons were shot by uh, a woman named Lisa Wiegand, um, and Lisa and I have been friends for 14, 15 years now, um, so we're very good friends, we've known each other for a long time. Um, Lisa's, I think, ten, about 10 years older than I am, so our careers um, strangely have kind of mirrored each other, but she's you know, obviously 10 years older than I am, so... Um, when I was starting to get into starting to get a little traction in like some of these low budget movies is when she started getting some traction into television. Um, and she kept trying to create opportunities for me to join her doing second unit. And for one reason or the other, I was never available or didn't work out or I said no. Um, so she went off to do the first season of Chicago fire. Um, she got back from the first season. I was over at her house, uh, just catching up with her because we hadn't seen each other in a year. Um, And in the course of that conversation, she was like, so I was thinking you should come out to Chicago and do second unit and I think that'd be great for you and be a big help to me. Uh, We started talking about it um, and I had never done television at that point. Um, So, uh, and I, I mean, Lisa's wonderful. She's been a dear friend and a mentor uh, and I love her dearly. So it took all about, you know, an hour of me going, okay, cool, let's go do this. it's funny, I because I was like, I've never done television. Um, I've never done anything to, at that time to that scale. So when I first got to Chicago, um, I was I was pretty convinced that people were gonna catch on, that I had no business being there. Um, so I actually didn't unpack my bags for like the first month that I was out there. Um, so I was like, any day now someone's gonna go like, what is this guy doing here? Um, but they seemed to like the work I was doing, so you know, eventually I unpacked my bags and ended up staying there for five years.
0: had you you mentioned that fire was your first foray into television though had you had any interest before lisa approached here was it just like oh well it kind of the circumstances were all right for fire and then you're like oh i actually kind of like doing television
2: um i i thought about it but it was it was one of those um it's it's funny because i've I've done so much television now um now it seems kind of like an obvious thing at the time i was like oh maybe television might be cool maybe possibly to get into one day but I've been so uh, I've been so kind of knee-deep into doing movies uh, that I never really I never actively pursued deep doing TV or thought about it um, and then when it came along it was like oh that's that's a whole different direction uh, but I've I think my whole life I've kind of made it a habit to uh, when there's something that makes me uncomfortable um, I've kind of I think usually I'm like oh Well, if there's something that makes me uncomfortable and unsure about, that's what I should run toward to kind of lean into. Um, So when she asked me, I was like, I've never done a television show. I've certainly never done anything to that scale. I have absolutely no idea how that world works. That's a great idea. Let's go do that. Um, So, yeah, I never I'd never been opposed to television. I just never really considered it um, seriously. Um, and then kind of dove into it. Um, and then, yeah, it was like, Oh, I actually really love television. Um, I, I, one of the, the things I really love about television are, like I said earlier, the, the, uh, the aspect that if we do something that's not, if I try something that's not entirely successful, um, I get to learn from it and then immediately reapply it to the same set of circumstances, you know, the following week. Um, that's, uh, that, that's a luxury that just doesn't exist in movies. You know, with with a movie, it's you shoot it and go. All right, if I didn't get it right, that's it. It's going to be in the movie now. Um, and the other thing that's great about TV is you with know, the movie, uh, you know this is and this is a fairly short shoot, so it's only four four and a half weeks. So by the time you start to get into a rhythm with the cast and crew, it's over. Uh, whereas with television, you're like, oh, I, I can spend a month, six months, a year five years. Like you start to, after a while, you really do become, uh, like a little dysfunctional family, but you spend so much time together that you really have an amazing shorthand, uh, uh and a rhythm dialed in that you just don't get with movies.
1: Interesting. Interesting. So who are some filmmakers or cinematographers that you would say inspire you?
2: Oh, this, uh, oh, this is the worst question. This is sort of like, <laughs> It's like, who are your favorite children? Um, it, that's uh, that's so tough. It you know it depends because um, it, it changes, uh, it changes I think with with every movie or every job that I do. Um, you know, a good example is you. Know, I came down for this movie I'm doing right now. Um, I the the director introduced me to a photographer named Arthur Meyerson that I'd never heard of before, um, and. Uh, I've been consuming his work for like the last two weeks. I'm like, Oh, this is amazing. I love this work. This work is proving to be a, a really big inspiration for the look and style of this movie. Um, up until two weeks ago, I never heard of this person. Um, you know, the next job I do, it's going to be something completely different where it's going to be like, Oh, check out this photographer, this artist, this musician, uh, this cinematographer, this filmmaker. So it's hard for me to say like who inspired me. Cause it, it, changes it very much changes um i mean i can say that you know the uh you know actually i'm not gonna i'm gonna avoid that question only because as i start thinking about who i would name and i'm like oh and then also this person this person and this podcast would turn into like two hours of me just like rambling off names of people that inspire me so <laughs> i would say really, it changes it changes based on every uh every different job i do um, and the people I'm working with, you know, uh, same thing, like on Chicago Fire, we'd have directors, uh, 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 there's a, a gentleman named Alex Chapel who uh, would come in come in, uh, and was a real cinephile. So he would come in with some, like, some obscure but amazing references to, like, European cinema um, that when you first hear, you're like, I don't know how this applies to Chicago Fire. But then you start talking to him, you're like, oh, I totally understand what you're going for. So you're like, great this episode we're referencing European cinema, you know, and somebody else would come in and be like, Oh, you know, I saw this cool thing on this music video. And you're like, great, I'll check that out. Oh, I see what you're going after. So I think it's one of the things I really love about collaboration is the people you're working with and the job you're doing exposes you out of necessity to other, uh, other artists. And you're like, Oh, I can get inspired by different people all the time.
1: Mm-hmm. So you draw inspiration from everybody in your field then.
2: Yeah. I mean, and it, it's, one of my, you know, I, I've said this before to, to friends and colleagues. One of my favorite things about my job is uh, is being in being in a room with a lot of people that are not cinematographers, but are all equally, but are all talented and experienced at whatever it is they do. Um, and I love watching other departments and other people uh, do the thing that they excel at. You know, it's like my field is is you know cinematography, like that's my field of expertise um, you know, I'm, I'm by no means an expert, you know, I'm moderately okay at it, I suppose. Um, so it's like, this is my job. This is what I know. This is what I think I'm, I'm pretty good at. Um, but you know, the art department coming in, like, I love to just go watch them work. You know, the, the last movie I did, uh, I'd love to come to the sound stages and just watch the construction crew put together the sets. Because for me, I'm like, this is a skill set I don't have. And the work they're doing is beautiful. And they're, they're very talented at their work, um, and I, I get a lot of inspiration from seeing talented, passionate people do whatever it is that they're talented and passionate about. Um, and for me, that's what I really enjoy about my job is watching a lot of people. You know, It's like the stunt crew. It's like what the stunt crew does is very artistic, um, and watching them figure out how to do it and execute it is really enjoyable for me.
0: So kind of going off of that, though, when you mentioned that some of your colleagues, you know, take inspiration from something like European cinema or music videos or things like that. When you're watching something, whether it's a television show or a movie or whatever, like, do you get to just kind of enjoy it? Or are you perhaps kind of always looking at more of the technical aspects and seeing like what you can apply to your own projects?
2: Um, that is a great question. Um, uh, it depends. <laughs> um I when I was younger, uh, all I would do is watch technical things and and I, I, when I was younger, it was very hard to watch a movie without trying to tear it apart and figure out how it worked and why it worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I've gotten a bit older, I try to make it a habit to to watch things just as an audience member and just to enjoy it. Um, and I think the better something is, the better the storytelling is the the easier it is for me to. Uh, ignore the technical aspects and just get lost in it, um, mm-hmm. but it's inevitable. You know, if I see something that's that's really well done, um, it's inevitable that I'll, I'll, you know, be like, "Wow, that's that's really well done. How did they do that?" Um, uh, you know, it, it used to bother me because I'm like, "Oh, I'd love to just watch a movie without you know thinking about like how it was done." But actually, if anything, now uh, I can I. I, I, I I'd like to believe I can appreciate things in a different way. Cause I can watch something and go, this is really powerful storytelling. It's really amazingly well done. And wow. The thing, the way they're telling the story, like the technique behind it, um, is also incredibly well done and I can appreciate and respect that. Um, so it's the short answer is no, I don't, I don't think it's really possible to, to watch something purely as an audience member. Right. Uh, but I think uh, if it's really good storytelling, then I can usually ignore and or, or not think about you know the, the technical or the execution. But inevitably there's some things you just look at and go, wow, that's amazing. And I, I'm gonna pause this and rewind it and watch it, you know, watch it again and go, I just need to see how they're doing that, because that's impeccably well done work.
1: Gotcha. Wow. And so one of our listeners actually popped in with a question and she is local to Chicago. Her name is Estee. She asked, how do you decide which Chicago shots to put into an episode and how do the city's lighting and weather influence your decisions?
2: Um, that's a really good question. Um, in terms of like what parts of the city that we see, um, those are usually those are usually part of the script. Um, so there'll be things written into the script about, you know, this is a, a specific location, something we just specifically want to, to, to show or highlight or see. Um sometimes it comes down to the director saying like hey I know in the script it says you know it's a generic city you know generic uh corner you know downtown um I'd like to shoot around this area because I really want to see you know, I want to see the Sears Tower back there or I really want to see this other uh landmark of Chicago so sometimes it's written it's it's inherent to the script um usually it's it's more the director saying you know, Hey, there are certain landmarks that I want to try to include or incorporate in Chicago. Um, that's usually where, uh, those types of decisions come from. Um, uh, in terms of, uh, of uh, I'm sorry. The second part was how do we incorporate like the weather? Um, so,
1: yeah, the city's lighting and the weather, how does that influence your decisions?
2: Yeah. So, um, in terms of the lighting, like for we have night work, that's obviously a big influence. Um, uh, You know, we're looking and going like, oh, what's the light that's available here? Um, And then going, great, rather than fighting it, like how do we embrace it and make it work for us? So usually it's it's finding streetlights. A lot of times what we'll do is we'll find uh, a place we like to shoot and say, okay, uh, let's have a couple streetlights turned off because they're going to create, you know, unflattering lighting or it's going to create a shadow for like a crane or something. Um, So we'll turn some streetlights off and then we'll add our own lights to supplement what's already there. Um, The weather... Uh, is always a little bit of a sore point, obviously. Um, you know, the, the city of Chicago was such, uh, or I, I should say is such a central part uh, of that show and is a character in and of itself. Um, so, and part of that is, is all the various types of weather Chicago has. So we lean very heavily into, you know, when it's, when it's cold and rainy, throw out there and shoot, and when it's snowy and kind of miserable to be in, we'll still be out there shooting. Um, that's, uh, whereas I think some shows would run away from that, that became part of the look and the style of the show, um, so we lean very heavily into that. Um, in those cases, you know, it's, it's there's no way to lie, I mean, there's no way to lie about this. Like, working in some of those conditions is really unpleasant, um, you know, it's always safe, but it's just, you know, when you're working in, you know, it's 10 degrees out, and you're, you know, knee deep in snow, that's, you know, you're out there for 13 hours a day. That's, there's no way to sugarcoat that. That's an unpleasant working environment. Um, but that, you know, you go, okay, great. How do we make this safe for everybody? And you know, it inevitably makes the work slower. Um, but also, uh, in the end, it's also, I think for the best, cause you see it on camera, you're like, wow, that, yeah, that looks, it looks amazing and it looks cold and it looks miserable, you know, because it was but it translates really well on camera, has a great energy to the scenes that I think you'd lose if you were like, oh, it's cold outside, let's just stay on stage. Um, so I think the show, rightfully so, for, the, for the, the tone of the story, leaned into some of the bad weather. And you just, you know, you, you put on extra layers and everything goes a little bit slower and you drink a lot more coffee.
1: <laughs> Interesting. Well, yeah, um, I think that might actually be all we've got. Bryna, do you have any additional questions or notes?
0: No, I think that's it. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate this. Yes, thank, thank you for, so
1: much. And thank you for all of your hard work to bring us the show that we love so much. Greatly yeah. appreciated.
2: You're welcome. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it.
1: Thank you. Yeah, so Jason, where are all of the places that our listeners might be able to find you online?
2: Um, so I've got uh, my website, which is just uh, my name, uh, .com. uh And I've also, as you mentioned earlier, uh, I try to stay pretty active on Instagram as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, that's about as much social media as, uh, as I can manage amongst everything else throughout the day. So,
1: Let's also note that it's Jason, J-A-Y-S-O-N. So if you go onto I, his website, don't forget the Y. <laughs>
2: Thank you. It's clearly I.
1: (laughs) And your Instagram is jcrodp, correct?
2: Uh, I think it's J A Y C R O D O P.
1: Got it. Got it. All right. Well, yes, Jason. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your hard work. Are you able to tell us what the movie is that you're working on now?
2: Um, It is. uh, Its current working title is Force of Nature. Uh, That will probably change, but that's current working title is Force of Nature. Uh, it's being directed by Michael Polish uh, with uh, Mel Gibson and then some other cast members uh, that I can't announce yet.
1: Okay. Okay. So next year, 2021, maybe?
2: Um, I would imagine sometime in 2020. Okay. Uh, you know, we're shooting now. You know, it usually um, shooting now, I imagine after we're done shooting, will be done sometime in August. Uh, and they get into editing and sound mixing and everything else. So they'll probably be done with the movie early next year and then probably, you know, probably release sometime next summer, I would guess. But uh, distribution is always kind of a tricky thing. So uh, but I would guess sometime middle of next year. Great, great.
1: Well, awesome. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy Puerto Rico and yes, have a good. wonderful 4th of July.
2: You too. Thank you again for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you very much.
0: Of course. Thank
1: you. Um, bye. Bye. And that is our chat with Jason Crothers. As always, ShyHards, you know where to find us. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. Meet us at Molly's right across the board. Email us anytime about anything. Meet us at Molly's at gmail.com. Follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Gina Watches TV. Bryna.
0: I am at brynak K13. Uh,
1: but yeah, otherwise, everybody enjoy your 4th of July. We will be back next week with a new episode. And we will see you then. Bye.